Bentornati tifosi napolitani to Far From Vesuvius. I'm your host, as always, Rafa Rispo. Today is November 25th, 2021. We celebrate Thanksgiving in America here, so I'd like to wish all of our American listeners a very happy, healthy, safe Thanksgiving. And please just enjoy it with whomever you're spending it with, family, friends, however you're spending today, enjoy it. But November 25th is a date that lives in Napoli fans' hearts as the anniversary of Diego Armando Maradona's passing. And one year ago today, we lost the greatest footballer of all time. We lost the man who brought Napoli to prominence. We lost the man that did so much for a city just by stepping foot on a football pitch. There are things out there about his personal life that are awful, terrible, tragic. Um, The allegations that are now out are disgusting, and if true, they should be viewed as something extremely negative about Diego Maradona. But right now, what I'd like to do is present the episode that we recorded, Henry Bell and I, at the time Henry was going by the name of Frank Sidekick, you all know him, but we recorded the 1988-89 UEFA Cup run, and then Maradona passed, and we recorded the tributes. Um, You're going to hear that episode in its entirety right now, and you know, just sort of like a re-release of that episode. What an amazing episode that was for me. Uh, Put a lot of hard work into it. So did Frank, uh, a.k.a. Henry. And we really cherish that episode. So I'd love for everybody to listen to that and take in the emotions, the raw emotions of how we felt that day, the day that the world lost Napoli legend, Argentina legend, Football god, Diego Armando Maradona. Before we get to the episode, though, Napoli have unveiled the uh, statue that was placed in front of the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium. It's a very beautiful sculpture. Uh, Some people will (laughs) talk about how he's leading the ball with his right foot um, and he's a lefty, but Maradona was magic on both feet. So I don't really pay any attention to those uh, people that are, uh, you know, criticizing the statue that much. But the sculpture was done by uh, an artist by the name of Domenico Sepe. It was installed this morning in front of the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium outside the Distinti. Former teammates were present as well as local officials. But that's not the only statue. There's also a statue of Maradona that will be placed in the stadium's locker room and also a third statue in the garden of the Archaeological Museum that was done by Christian Leporino, and it's titled The Hero's Dream. That sits there as we speak. So three statues in Naples... (laughs) One outside the stadium, one inside the locker room, and one at the Archaeological Museum. This was all commissioned by personal friend and former manager of Maradona, Stefano Cecchi. And there is not a good relationship between him and the family 
of Diego Maradona, his son Maradona Jr., who recently spoke to De Laurentiis on the phone and had a pleasant conversation. And apparently prior to this conversation, he had never spoken to De Laurentiis, but he has come out and said that he had a great conversation with him. He has respect for him. He has admiration for him and the team. But as long as Chechi is at these... Uh, you know, memorials and unveiling of the statues, uh, he would not be present. As of now, I'm not sure how that played out, but those were the words of Diego Jr. Um, and it's a shame that uh, that's going on because, you know, it would be a beautiful thing for, to have the whole family in attendance as well as the people that have facilitated this event. Anyway, that's some of the recent Diego news that's out there. Very cool tributes by Boca Juniors as well. And, you know, in the rest of Argentina where where Diego was from. This man was a legend to a lot of people. And we lost someone who meant a lot to Napoli fans and a lot to football. Um, Regardless of what he did off the pitch, there's no chance that Napoli fans and Napoli itself will ever forget what he's done positively for this city. So without further ado, we are re-releasing episode five. The last episode that was released, actually, Henry and I are working on getting the rest of the series done as soon as we possibly can. But this is the last released episode of the Maradona Era Chronicles, episode five. Season 88-89, Part 1, The Glory of European Gold and the Loss of a Hero. I hope you enjoy. Benvenuti tifosi napolitani to another edition of the Far From Vesuvius podcast. This is the Maradona Era Chronicle. Buonasera, buonasera Vanessa, perché ovviamente anche noi siamo messi al lavoro per verificare questa notizia e dalle verifiche che abbiamo fatto in questi minuti ci arrivano delle conferme dirette anche a noi. Diego Armando Maradona è morto per un attacco cardiorespiratorio, dunque le condizioni si erano aggravate nelle ultime, nelle ultime ore e purtroppo poi l'ex Pipe de Oro non, non ce l'ha fatta e dunque vi confermiamo che Diego Armando Maradona eh, è morto. Quindi le, le notizie che arrivano dall'Argentina hanno trovato un riscontro. Confirmato, murió Diego Armando Maradona. Bueno, nunca pensé que iba a dar esta noticia en vivo, al aire, nunca pensé que iba a dar esta noticia. 
y la noticia dice que efectivamente murió Diego Armando Maradona a los 60 años de edad. Sufrió un paro cardiorrespiratorio en la casa de Tigre, en la que se había instalado tras su operación en la cabeza. Dice, y un día ocurrió, lo inevitable sucedió, un cachetazo emocional, nacional, un golpe que retumba en todas las latitudes, un impacto mundial, una noticia que marca una, una bisagra en la historia. La sentencia que varias veces escribió, pero que había sido gambeteada por el destino, ahora es parte de la triste realidad, murió Diego Armando Maradona. Es lo que dice, lo que ya están diciendo todos. Three weeks have passed now since the passing of the greatest of all time, Diego Armando Maradona. We at Far From Vesuvius uh, felt that pretty deeply. Um, he meant a lot to us, and um, we just thought that it would be the right thing to do to wait a little bit to start uh, putting out shows to pay tribute to him um we really wanted to get this right we wanted to work hard on it you know frank and i have been doing this maradona era chronicle for quite some time uh we started it over the lockdown we thought we'd have it done a lot sooner than we did um when things started reopening we kind of put a halt to the project but ironically enough we were able to get together um to resume and um we left off at 8788 the year that we lost the scudetto to milan and we were going to restart 8889 and it's been <laughs> quite a journey in trying to get that episode off and running we recorded one with us and ken uh that one got lost it was a three-hour show um um and we decided to redo it Uh, Frank and I finally set a date to get it together and uh, we decided to record it in two parts. Uh, part one being the Copa UEFA uh, and that run and then we would do part two for Serie A and Copa Italia, do more of a breakdown of the season. Um, you know, we wanted to have the Copa UEFA victory to have its own kind of, you know, celebratory part Um, and ironically enough, part two, we, we were to record, um, on the day of Maradona's passing. The reason it didn't happen was, uh, it was the day before Thanksgiving. I realized I had to go into work and I had canceled it on Frank, uh, or postponed it anyway. And that was the day Maradona passed away. That was November 25th, 2020. Um, So when we present this to you, you'll hear us say, we'll be back next week, but that would never come. Um, and we decided to wait to post that because we thought that it would be nice for Frank and I to get some words in. So Frank uh, recorded a few minutes of his thoughts on the passing of Maradona. Uh, you'll hear that next, and then you'll hear our show. And in our show, like I said, it's a week before he passes away, so we have no idea what's going to happen. We had no idea we'd be on here to essentially eulogize Diego Maradona. Um, 
but that's how it happens. And then uh, I'm going to add at the end my words about Diego. This is something that I recorded the night he passed away. Um, it's very emotional. It's very heartfelt. And um, I do appreciate you listening. Um, and yeah, hey, you know, we uh, today are uh, on the heels of Napoli qualifying for the round of 32 in the Europa League. They drew Granada and we uh, have a legitimate chance and i think we're taking this competition as serious as possible especially with the death of maradona and especially this being the trophy that he won and that meant so much to him as a napoli player uh i think it'd only be fitting that napoli go all out for this trophy uh in honor of diego but uh, anyway here's frank sidekick with his words once again followed by our 1988-89 tribute to the UEFA Cup and then a close out with my words. However, be on the lookout as well for another episode, another tribute episode to Diego Maradona with the rest of the cast and crew of Far From Vesuvius, some of our friends, some of our family. We're putting this together, so please bear with us. We didn't want to rush out a tribute we want to get this absolutely right for you guys the listeners and now i'll send you over to frank's sidekick and i really hope you enjoy the rest of this show forza diego forza napoli sempre is a club in mourning tonight, a match overshadowed this week by the death of Diego Maradona on a night of tributes to an outstanding player. Napoli piange il suo eroe, il suo condottiero capace di portare la città partenopea sul tetto d'Italia ed Europa e come se fosse scomparso un parente, uno di famiglia e l'amore dei partenopei e del mondo del calcio per il Pibe de Ori. Ciao ragazzi, it's Frank here. Um, yeah, so Rafa asked me to just record some thoughts about the passing of, um, of Diego Maradona uh, before this, uh, this, this podcast. And, um, you know, when we recorded the show, you're, you're about to listen to, that was a week before uh, Maradona died. I'm recording this about a week after Maradona died. So, yeah, I've had a bit of time to process the whole thing and, I've looked at everyone's reactions and it's been such an overwhelming thing. And those of you that sort of have got to know me on Twitter and have read some of the things that I've written will know that my whole involvement with Napoli as a club and me being a Napoli fan is really centred around around Diego Maradona. And um, yeah, you know, I was a seven-year-old uh, English boy from a family who had no interest in in sport really, um, and the nineteen ninety World Cup was on, and I I watched Maradona play and was very captivated by it, but then also very upset that the Argentine the Argentina anthem was being booed, and then, and then it wasn't booed in Naples, and well, as far as I can remember, and I talked to my dad about Naples, and he explained to me about it as a city because he was working there on and off. Um, 
And so really, there's, there's this, you know, pasty blonde kid from being brought up in Cheshire in the UK with absolutely no connection to Naples as a city and Napoli as a club. And through this guy, this huge icon, I've, you know, my life changed. He genuinely changed my life, Maradona. Um, and I think that's something that I just like to think about with you all now is that, and we're all very obviously devastated that he's gone and it's very sad. But I think that, you know, I'm not arrogant enough to, to suggest that I know what happens when we die and what, what goes on. You know, as someone once wrote, there, there are more things in, in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And so, but what I do know and what I believe in is that there is a sort of collective afterlife that people do live on in other people. And I think of the people that I've lost in my life, my, you know, in my family and my friends. And I think of actually how much of my ridiculous personality I owe to them and they live on in me, um, you know, and, and it's, it's a really beautiful thing when you think about it. Shakespeare wrote, in the Tempest, uh, Prospero says, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. And that for me is about how we do live on in each other. And there are people that we've all lost and we dream about them. But we also uh, respond to certain situations because of their influence. We're interested in certain things because of their influence. And there's this sort of beautiful network of connection that in some ways I... I live, my ancestors that go back hundreds of years to a small island in, in Scotland called Isla. I've never met any of these people, but through the kind of lineage of, of their experience, they, you know, they'll influence someone who influences someone who influences someone who influences me. And I'm connected to those people. And we're connected to everyone that's touched us. And when they die, they don't, that connection doesn't stop, does it? It lives on in us. And you think of Maradona and you think of all those connections, all those people whose lives he changed, all the players he played with, he changed them, all the, all the people watching him, the fans, not just as a footballer, but as an icon. And now's not the time to talk about the people whose lives he destroyed as well. And he did. Um, let's just think about him as a footballer. And it's huge. And think, you know, I have... 700 odd followers on Twitter I've never met any of you and yet you're actually a big part of my life and I think of the journey and Rafa the journey that we've been on with these podcasts and the fact that I know you and we've spent hours together and we you know this Scudetto podcast when you were very rightly emotional about that that's something that we shared that was a great experience that I'll always cherish and I'm really so pleased that we we're doing these things about Maradona, but that's because of Maradona, you know, and it's huge. And so his impact doesn't just stop now. And, and Messi says that he's eternal and he is. And I suppose these things all seem quite grand, don't they? And, and abstract and hard to understand. But for me, the big thing is that he has connected himself to so, millions of people. And he's also connected people together. And I think that's the thing to think about. Um, and the other thing, just him as a player, is that I, um, 
in my real life, I, I'm, a, I'm an academic and I, I write academic books and I go to conferences and I give papers. And one of the things that I'm really interested in is skill. And I was giving a paper about skill development in, in young people in, in relation to performance at a conference, right? And I used Maradona's chip uh, or lob or whatever you want to call it against Lazio for us. And I, it was, I'm not going to go into detail about it. Don't worry, everybody. But I got a question from someone afterwards that said, well, because really what I was saying, and it comes from a philosopher called Hubert Dreyfus, but that really greatness, genius in terms of skill development, isn't just about following the rules. It's about improvising, making things up to a point where you change the rules, like you change the game. And I think Maradona is a great example of that. Anyway, so I got this question saying, from this guy saying, well, hang on, uh, w- you know, what's to say that another player wouldn't have made that decision? And, he, and that Maradona's actually just, you know, going through a series of options in his head and he, he's chosen that one. And I thought, you just don't get it, man. Like, you really... <laughs> like, and I said to him, look, nine... 100,999 uh, people would have been in that situation and not done what Maradona did, partly because they couldn't, but also partly because they wouldn't have thought to. And that, for me, is what Maradona does, is that he is a genius. He was a genius um, because he went beyond the rules. He changed the game. He saw the game in a way. He made the game work for him, not the other way around, and he always did that. And he changed it. Like the football was not, will never be the same because of Maradona. And I think that those two thoughts are connected. And I think his legacy will live on for hundreds of years. And there'll be people playing football in two, three hundred years time. And they may not even have heard of Maradona, but he would have had an influence on, on them because of what he did in his career as a footballer. And that for me is the big, the big thing. I think, to take away from that and, and how, how lucky we have been to have such a, uh, a player play for our team. And it's also really sad. And I just think back to the, to the, to the kid in, in, the, in the documentary, the, that little boy with that just drive and desire and ambition. But he was also a little boy and a very vulnerable kid and... And you look at that and then you look at the, the guy in the World Cup in 2018 and people found it funny and stuff. I found it really just so sad to see, you know, that. And I think, you know, and there's a lot of positives and we've got to think about the bigger picture, but it's also really sad, isn't it? 60 is too young for anyone, man. Um, but anyway, that, that's, I don't know. I hope these thoughts are interesting or useful or whatever, but I'm absolutely devastated by it. And, um, you know, the good thing is that it seems to have really brought us all together. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was recorded quite quickly. I had a little bit of time, but I think it's a great tribute to him to focus on that UEFA Cup campaign. Let's just think about him as a player. And as we continue the series, as we're going to, when we get towards the end, I think we can look at some of the other stuff. But it's a fitting tribute in that this campaign, he was such a team player. He was a great captain. 
and people don't give him credit enough that he thought about other players just as much as he thought about himself. And I think, you know, the UEFA campaign, you see that, the amount of assists, you know, how he was lifting that trophy. Yeah, it's a beautiful campaign and I hope you enjoy it. Actually, uh, there is one last thing. Um, just thinking about everything. And again, I don't know if this is useful to anyone, but I, th- you know, when these big things happen, I think one tends to turn to the, the people and the voices and the things that help us make sense of things. And, you know, one of my favourite writers is, is, is from Italy, uh, was from Italy, a guy called Italo Calvino. Many of you will have heard of him, but if you haven't, you know, investigate him. But one of, the, one of his most enjoyable books that he wrote, actually it's not a work of fiction, um, it's called Why Read the Classics? And in this book, he, he's looking at what, what makes a classic work of, of literature or what makes a classic work of art. And I think, um, yeah, I think that Maradona was a classic in that sense. He's like a classic film, he's like a classic novel, something that, that sort of transcends time and, and place. And I think there's, there's, two, um, there's two quotes, I think, from this book, two of the, the criteria for making a classic that really speaks to me about, about Maradona. See, this is what Calvino says, your classic is a book to which you cannot remain indifferent and which helps you define yourself in relation or even in opposition to it. In fact, actually, that's just the one I've got to concentrate on. And that is Maradona in a nutshell. Um, if, you've, if you've seen the man on the pitch, you cannot remain indifferent to that talent, to that... Um, what was it that the Argentinian commentator described him as? It was like an extraterrestrial object. You cannot remain indifferent to that. And I think that which helps you define yourself in relation or even in opposition to it. I think that's important for people who are trying to make sense of how this Maradona as a flawed person can still be an inspirational to, uh, inspiration to people. And I think, you know, one of my favourite podcasts is, is the Stadio podcast and, and Musa and Ryan on it have talked about how messy in some ways has defined how he lives his life in opposition, I would say, to Maradona, that in some ways Maradona's life enabled Messi to, to, to live in a different way, to focus on things differently. You know, and without Maradona, Messi, I think, has a very different kind of life. Um, and, and that's from Calvino. Um, and I suppose, okay, the 12th. A classic is a work that comes before other classics. But those who have read the other classics first immediately recognise its place in the genealogy of classic works. So that's something you spot. And I think there'll be people listening to this that, that weren't alive when Maradona was at his peak. But I think when you watch his, him play, you watch his highlights, you watch some of his goals, you watch that amazing warm-up that he did. We talk about doing things on your own terms. Um, before the um, sem- semi-final second leg, you'll recognise, you, you know, and you can see Maradona and you can place him in the kind of genealogy, uh, like the family tree of, of the great players. 
Um, so I think, uh, I think, again, it links back to what Messi said about Maradona being eternal, that he is like a classic work of literature, a classic film. These things that are going to, that are going to live you know, forever in, in people's lives, in people's imaginations, in people's dreams and, and all that stuff. So that's just a little thing from Italo Calvino. Yeah. All right. I'm going to sign out now. Forza Napoli sempre. Benvenuti tifosi napolitani to a very special edition of the Far From Vesuvius podcast. We are here to continue the Maradona era chronicles and this time we come at you with season 1988-89 and as always I can't do this without my partner in crime Frank Sidekick over in jolly good England. (laughs) Frank how are you doing? I'm peachy Rafa it's Always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, always a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure to speak, Napoli. And this season, I mean, we got very emotional, didn't we, about the first Gadato. Um But there's something about this season that is on a pure footballing level that is just absolute gold dust. So I can't wait to get cracking with this. How about you, man? Yeah, same here, same here, especially on the heels of a, uh, you know, we, like you mentioned, our first Scudetto, our Coppa Italia, and then the collapse of last season in 87-88, um, you know, five matches to go, and oh, a loss oh, to... Oh, don't remind AC. me, man, don't remind <laughs> me. Well, I mean, it should be, we should, we should refresh everybody that Napoli lost out on on the Scudetto with uh, very few matches left in the season. They started a uh, pretty much a, a, a want to say, a revolt, I guess, uh, with some of the players, Bagni, Garella, Giordano, Ferrario, you know, Bruscolotti is retired at this point. But, um, you know, so what we're going to do here is because there's so much to talk about and we don't have that much time is we're going to split this into two parts. This part, we're going to talk about our uh, UEFA Cup run uh, of the 1988-89 season. And then part two, we'll go a little deeper into Serie A season and Coppa Italia because, quite frankly, we still impressed. Even though we didn't win those two competitions, it was still impressive and it was still worthy to speak about. A lot of things happened, a lot of really good goals, a lot of really good situations um, but it's just too much to talk about because we go pretty far into this UEFA Cup run, don't we, Frank? Yeah, we don't, we don't give any spoilers away, though, do we, Rafa? But we might no, be talking about quite a lot of games. Um, yeah, I, d- I just want to back up the, the, the league and cup stuff that you're saying. Like, I think we both agree that it might be our favourite week in the history of Napoli um, is in the league. Two very good results against two of our oldest enemies. So watch the space for episode two because it definitely will be worth it. Um, Rafa, before we we dive into the first game of our UEFA Cup campaign, 
do you think it's worth briefly just talking about the status of the UEFA Cup back in 1988? Because I think maybe for a lot of people listening who are maybe a bit younger than us, uh, nonni, um, they maybe think about the Europa League, and which is a great competition, but really the UEFA Cup back in 88 was a really high prestige competition, wasn't it? It was. Back in the 80s and early 90s, the Champions League, which is what it is now, was back then was the uh, Euro- European Champions Cup, you know, the... the, the only the champions of your domestic league were allowed in that competition and the reigning champions. So it's like, you know, every year you'd have one, you know, one country with two two clubs if uh, if that country won a European Cup but didn't win their domestic league, you know. So, so basically the UEFA Cup being the secondary European competition um, consisted of teams that today would be in the Champions League all throughout the competition. You know, now, like you said, the the, the Europa League today is is a pretty, you know, it's a prestigious competition. It's a European trophy, you know, when you come down to it. But really in the later stages of the Europa League today is when, like, the the, medi- the meatier part of the, the you know, the, the tournament comes around where all the, like, the cream rises to the top towards the end of the competition here. Here... You've got teams that finish from two to like, you know, depending on what country is ranked where, but two to five. And it's definitely similar to the Champions League of today for sure. So winning a competition like that is was a big deal. There was also the year the the, uh, club. uh, I'm sorry, the cup winners cup, too, was a pretty big deal as well, because only the cup winners get into that, too. But, you know, the, the European competitions seemed a little more you know, obviously the Champions League of today, everybody wants to win the Champions League and it's very prestigious, but all three of those competitions seemed a little bit more uh, prestigious back then uh, yeah. as compared to today. Right, Frank? Yeah, and I'm not just saying this because I'm an Napoli fan, but you could argue that in some years it was harder to win the UEFA Cup than it was to win the European Cup. And um, you just have to look at the quality of teams that are in the competition in over the course of this season. You'll hear us describing games against um you know some really big um european superpowers and just just to plug it someone that i, I don't know and I, i've listened to a podcast that was promoting this book that's just come out um he's a english writer called uh stephen scrag i don't know if you follow him on twitter he's he's a really interesting guy and he's written a book about the uefa cup and this period which is called i think where the cool kids hung out and i think I mean, I haven't read the book. I've got it ordered. I'm going to read it soon. But I think what that really demonstrates is that this is a competition that was unique, hard to win, full of gold dust, glittering super clubs um, to the point that you've got people writing books about this period as well. So I think um, and also we, we've watched the games, haven't we, Rafa? You can see it on the pitch as well, can't you? And you can see it in the atmosphere in the stadiums as well. Right. Um so, which we'll be talking about, but I just thought that was worth us just kind of saying before we get into it. But shall we? Uh, shall we talk about the first game and this new Napoli team? We absolutely should. Yes. So the the UEFA Cup. I went to call it the Europa League. The UEFA Cup began in the preliminary uh, stages in uh, September of. Uh, 1988 september 7th and this actually prompted 
the Serie A to start late. We'll talk about that next week. We have a, a revamp of the competitions, but we'll talk more about that next week. But we end up playing in um, the preliminary stage of the UEFA Cup before we play a single Serie A season, uh, season match. And the first match is uh, against Pauk Salonakia. Salonika? Salonika. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. Paolo, that's how you pronounce it, yeah. Yes, Pauk Salonika. Uh, at home at the San Paolo. And uh, our first match is a 1-0 victory at the San Paolo on a Diego Maradona penalty kick. Sure. And if you look at the, the highlights of this match, and again, they're all there on YouTube, everyone listening, so please do listen along and, and press play or whatever. But um, the thing you'll notice is that we've got five new players in from last season, right, Rafa? And you mentioned at the top some of the internal politics of the club, and we talked about on the last podcast the, the dressing room revolt and the letter um, that was signed by Bagni, uh, Garella, Ferrario, and Giordano, right? And yes. none, of, none of those four players are in the lineup because they've been sold in pre-season. So we've got five new players. We've got Giuliani in goal, Corradini in defence, Alamao in midfield, Kripa in midfield, and Fuzi as as a forward in this. He plays all over the team over the course of the season. But what do you think about that then? This massive um, rebrand, rethink of the club. Well, what I think about it is that it works out, you know. I mean, we we basically replaced every player with a a very strong player. Uh, we did a good job in in doing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, Giuliani was uh, a goalkeeper that was also with Verona, like Garella, um, and you know, fared very well there as well. He was actually Garella's replacement at Verona, so that's that's kind of weird how. We set up our goalkeeping <laughs> around the Verona base there. Um, you know, Corradini came in and uh, was very instrumental in this season. Alemao, obviously, Alemao was one of the most, more important signings of, um, you know, of this tenure here. Kripa uh, does a lot of good stuff and actually stays for a few years after the Maradona you know, era and, you know, uh, Fuzi too, you know, and, and, and they really did stand out as great replacements for the players that were leaving. Uh, don't forget, like I mentioned earlier, Bruce Galotti would retire as well. So, yeah. you know, Napoli does a good job re- in replacing them. And who's the guy in charge of this? I mean, are we allowed to mention his name? It's such a dirty word. The, the, that's that's the thing, is that it was such a great move, but, you know, uh, the irony of the fact that it's Luciano Moggi that, that is the one to get everything together <laughs> is... I mean, Quite astounding. Ten years I mean, later, we'd know where, where that... Twenty years later, as a matter of fact, we know where that that would end up, you know? Exactly. And I know this is a Napoli podcast, and we are partisan, and that's fine. And he's a despicable person, and, and it represents so much that's wrong with Italian football, uh, and still is wrong with Italian football. But you do have to give him his props here. You know, he... You know, my notes on this game is that this does not look like a new team. You know, we play fantastic football here. Um, everything gels. The the real focus for me is is you got Maradona playing deeper, and this is what you'll see over the course of the season. And that chemistry between him and Caracca 
which we talked about as part of Magica last podcast for last season. But really, let's just focus on those two. One of the greatest strike partnerships of all time. And you see that now. And Kareka's a bit more of a focal point this season. He's wearing the number nine. Um, and uh, yeah, but the, the penalty itself comes from one of the great heroes of the season for me, uh, Alessandro Orenica. Uh, our, our sweeper he likes to bring the ball out of defence um, you know he feeds Maradona he takes it forward he plays in Kareka and Kareka's fouled in the box and that's where the penalty comes from and really that spine of the team those three players Renica uh, Maradona and Kareka there are our sort of three main heroes I'd say of the season so it's quite a um, in our European campaign I think it's quite a, a fitting way to start things so we end up winning that game one nil, and again, a rocking atmosphere at the at the old San Paolo, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the San Paolo has, has come back alive. You know, I I think the new uh, the new players coming in brought a, brought an energy, or not brought an energy, but retained the energy that we had from the the seasons past. And like you said, yeah, the 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 foul that led up to the Maradona penalty kick was just. Um, you know what you're it's just a, like a like a taste of what you're gonna see for the rest of the season here and it was a really good way to show the fans that, that this is what we have in store for you guys you know uh, but we do win that match one nil uh, at home the away fixture would come uh, about a month later in December uh, October sorry <laughs> October 6th um, a one one finish there. Uh, Careca would get our goal. Uh, Scartados would get a goal for uh, Pauk. Um, and they, they put us under pressure a little early, didn't they, Frank? Yeah, and I think, um, again, it speaks to the quality of the competition. That This is not an easy fixture. We've only got a 1-0 um, lead going into it. Um, and this, for me, is another really important story this season, is the combination at the back of uh, Renica and, and Ferrara. Chiro Ferrara, one of the great legends of the club. And, um, you know, I've we talked about this privately, haven't we, Rafa, thinking about what's the greatest offensive combination in Napoli history. I, I think Renica Ferrara is a really good shout. Um, you've got Renica who can play the ball out from the back um, and distribute, and you've got Ferrara's excellent marker, pace and strength. Um, and that really holds, holds us together in those opening moments when we're put under pressure. Um, and this is, Ferrara's mostly playing as a centre-back this season, and that's kind of the first time that he's consistently been there, hasn't he? He's played a bit as right-back and a bit all over the place because he's been quite young. But I think this is his, I'd say this is his season where he really arrives as a national player. I agree. Very young as well. You know, he was a youth player in the team. He started his professional career at, I believe it was age age 18, and by now he's 20, and, and I, I think they found... You know, they found a, a Bianchi. Credit to Bianchi there too. You know, Bianchi found the fact that Ferrara is probably a better better fit at center back, and he moves him over there with Renica. And yeah, one of the better defensive combinations there as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the goal again. I've talked about the Maradona Caracca chemistry, but the uh, and it's a shame that this season is pre-assist stats because I think Maradona. We'll probably talk a bit more about his, his the fact he hasn't scored that many goals in in next week's pod, but um, I think he'd have a very very large amount of assists this season, and he does this beautiful lofted through ball, um, 
and uh, yeah, Kareka hits it on the bounce into the left-hand corner. Um, it's a really lovely goal. It speaks volumes about Kareka, and I, I think I said this last time round. I can just see so much of Cavani in 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 Kareka. Don't don't you think the sort of power he can get into his shots? Oh, absolutely. Kareka was a pure striker. He 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 had a lot of power behind his shots, and and he. He did really well to get to that that ball. You know, he fantastic run on a on a great pass by Maradona, and it is a shame that we don't see assists <laughs> in in this era because I think Maradona would be uh, like up there in in all of Europe. Yeah. Oh God, absolutely, and he really is. It's a masterclass in in deep lying forward play all season. He's he's very famously a number ten. The shirt number he wore, obviously, that's the number that's been retired, in my mind, rightfully so, at the club. Um, and I think this is a season where he plays most as a, as a pure 10 for us. Um, and it, there's there's several chances that come from Diego's creativity. There's another Kareka chance where he's put through again, but that doesn't quite happen. Um, a few chances from corners that he's taking. Um, Renica again... Um, is dangerous at, up front as well as at the back. It's also loads of Koulibaly, I think, in, in Renico, if you're looking for modern-day comparisons. He loves to run forward with the ball and get involved uh, all over the pitch. Um, their goal isn't, isn't great, is it, from us, from a defensive perspective, though, Rafa? No, no. It was a, a, a corner kick that wasn't really dealt with properly. Um, and uh, Giuliani was was looking pretty good, but um, a, a lot of really good saves. Looked a little confident, but um, the, the 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 goal that they scored was off a corner kick that wasn't really dealt with properly. Yeah. And um, you know we just kind of fell a little flat there. Um, and lucky, luckily enough, the aggregate score was two nil when this goal came. Um, and uh, you know a little tense. I mean, you know the. the atmosphere in greece was pretty <laughs> pretty outstanding you know i'm sure it would be when you come see a, pl- a team like napoli and and he- you know speared by maradona there but but yeah um, it really yeah, uh, feels like we're box office doesn't it rafa like it, it sure does yeah packed stadium like it's a shame they, they chuck things at maradona which is which is a bit naughty um and we're going to be talking about the uh, how important that is to us next season in a couple of pods time objects being thrown at people um spoiler alert but again i've i'm laughing a bit in my <laughs> notes here is like a proper european night it really feels not like again to emphasize it's not europa league it's not oh we're going to turn up it's this is box office main event best player in the world playing for a really exciting team and we get through it so we're through to the next round very exciting that's right. We are through to the next round, and, and later that month, on the 26th to be exact of October, we would get Lokomotiv Leipzig, uh, and our first, uh, the first leg is away in Germany, in East Germany, and it is a 1-1 result. Uh, Francini gets on the scoreboard for this one, um, and uh, yeah, so we we get the away, uh, you know, goal that we need to get out of Germany. Um, you know, it looks like the Germans really attacked Maradona a lot, didn't they? Oh, yeah. There's two things that I immediately noticed. One is relevant to you is the sheer amount of mullets that are on the pitch. The hair <laughs> is like every stereo 
type you want to make about 1980s um, Germany is incredible. And so you've got these kind of mulleted German, East German players absolutely kicking the shit out of Maradona, pardon my French. Um, yeah. And again, so what we talked about this before, but Maradona gets up and gets on with it. And the whole Maradona or Messi debate, and I know you've been on podcasts talking about this, Rafa, one of the things to bear in mind is just the treatment he was dished out and how he still managed to do some stuff. So despite the fact he's getting kicked around, there's a beautiful dribble and shot which goes just wide. Um, again, I think the atmosphere, again, remember this is East Germany, this is before the fall of the Soviet Union, it would have been a big event for the city of, of Leipzig, the sort of colour of of Napoli and the, the razzmatazz for the whole thing, I think would have been a big deal. And you can hear it in, in the noisy stadium, but Giuliani really, really important for us again, right? Yes. He came up pretty big with a lot of first half saves. Very, very good. Um, and you know, it was a pretty even first half in the second half. He made another really good save at the near post yeah. to, de- to deny Halata. And, you know, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of really good, you know, played by Giuliani, but they would they would come out first, wouldn't they, with with a lead? Yeah, and I think people look back at the season and they remember it as our great European campaign. But, you know, it nearly didn't go that way for us in, in a few games. And um, yeah, when they score, they're the better team by quite some distance. There's this hugely intimidating atmosphere, and um, you think they could maybe get a few more, but luckily uh, our keeper uh, Giuliani, also the most tragic story probably in the history of Napoli Football Club which I'm sure we'll talk about on another podcast he keeps us in it and then we score this incredible team goal um which has that Alamal taking a free kick Kareka and Maradona with a one-two so that's that classic chemistry we've talked about Kareka then squares it to for my money the greatest left back in the history of the club Francini with his (laughs) great pace and he runs into the box and he finishes it it um in you know, modern day comparison, people think about Jordi Alba playing for Barcelona. Those sorts of goals with that sort of rampaging fullback. Um, it's a really top quality all round. Back to that thing, we've, we've replaced the spine of the team, but we're gelling fantastically well together. Um, and to be to play football of that quality when you're under that much pressure is another props to our great coach, um, Bianchi. But I Absolutely. reckon a draw is a fair result. I think so. I think it was a fair result here. We were, you know, le- uh, attacked pretty well, you know, and, and to come out with a result away is always a good thing. You know, uh, you, you get you get the 1-1, you get the away goal. So now you go into Sao Paulo a little bit more confident, which is what we did. We go into Sao Paulo on November 9th against Leipzig, and we come out 2-0 winners. And that man, Francini, again from another set piece, no? Yeah, and who delivers it? Our assist man, the greatest footballer of all time, Diego Armando Maradona. Um, Couldn't have a better service into the box there. What, what do you think? I mean, just just the way he places it, you know, he knows exactly where he's going. Francini's right there waiting. What a wonderful goal from another header by Francini as well. So, yeah, very good. Very good way to start the match there. Yeah, and the atmosphere, we talked about the um, Fortress San Paolo a few times. Um, the flares, not the trousers, the fireworks, the, but there's probably a few of those as well. Um, 
you know, the smoke on the pitch. It's such a classic 1980s European night feel. Maradona's lost a bit of weight as well. He's looking a bit more up for it. Um, and I think we need to talk a bit about uh, Carnavale, which I'm sure, again, we'll be addressing when we talk about the league. But that that front three, although we talked about Magica a lot last season, but for me, it, it, it gels even better than Magica, Carnavale, Maradona and, and Carreca. And there's a few chances that don't quite come off. Um, yeah, and then the the second goal comes from a, another Maradona set piece, right? It does. It does. It's an uh, this time an an own goal uh, by I took my head away from the notes here. I forgot exactly who Schultz, it was. Schultz. 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 Yes. Yes. But Maradona sends the ball into the box, which gets through the wall low. And uh, I can't make out who took the shot here, but it, uh, as I'm watching the highlights right now, but it, it caroms off the keeper and goes right off, off of Schultz's leg. And it's hey, Francini, I think. Who, is it Francini? Yeah, it is Francini. Yeah. Look at that. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watched it again. Yeah, Francini is all over the place, isn't he? It, I mean, like just really proving to be like one of one of the better defenders for us. You know, and very underrated. You don't hear his name a lot. No, and again, he was huge in, um, yeah, and he, he stays with us for a long time. A lot, a lot of appearances. I, I find it very hard to see anybody else being in that all-time 11. But, um, yeah, it's not a pretty goal, is it? But it's it's massive, and that's us through. Really, really difficult opposition, um, Leipzig, and we, we, we got through it. Does get us through. I should also mention uh, we talk about the atmosphere at the Sao Paulo and the atmosphere away as well. Uh, the two Sao Paulo matches so far, Pauk drew sixty three thousand, and um, funny enough, the the match against Leipzig at the Sao Paulo drew ten thousand less supporters. But um, I think they were uh, preparing for a trip to Turin because that would be the next match, which we'll get to in the next. In the Which next, uh, in the next part, yes, correct. Uh, again, we talked about a week to have, and this is it. This is the week we start the week with a, a November twentieth away to Juventus, but in the middle of that and a home Milan fixture, we go to Bordeaux and play against them on November twenty third in the first leg. And um, Bordeaux had a pretty interesting manager, didn't he? Yeah, I thought the most interesting thing about this game is not actually the game, but the people involved. So you've got Aimé Jacquet, who won the World Cup with France in 1998. Um, you had Jean Tigana, the great midfielder, um, and you have Enzo Schifo, in, in the, the great Belgian player, in the Bordeaux side. So when I saw the lineup, I got really excited. I watched the match, and it was just like, you know, all my prejudices about French football really came up. It was not... Not particularly interesting game, not a great atmosphere as well. It's a bit of a damp squib, um, but Carnival. It was pretty cold that day too, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, mate, it looks freezing, doesn't it? Uh, what are South Americans would have made it? God, God knows. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, Maradona was wearing gloves during the match, so I I love a player wearing gloves. I have to say, um, yeah, and so there's. You know, I think there's probably other games for us to get into a bit more detail with, but it's it's worth saying that there's again a lot of chances created um, by Maradona. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to remember what the what the goal is. It's a, it's a sort of 
is it a cross? Is it a shot sort of goal? Isn't it? It's one of those sorts. Of it's sort of. Kind of it's sort of. Yeah. It looks. It for me. It looks like uh, uh, Carnival is trying to send the ball in. You know, and it looks like he's trying to find a player and he mishits it <laughs> and it yeah. goes right past the keeper and into the net. We'll take it, which is great. You know, Everything you mentioned. You, you mentioned Carne- Carnevale being instrumental after the Magica days, um, but for a long time, I, uh, you know, as a kid, I thought uh, Carnevale was part of the uh, Magica. And when you talked about Magica, it was the CA was for Carnevale. That's as a, as a kid, I'll never forget growing up, you know, knowing that, and then you know, getting a little smarter to the fact that it was Giordano and Careca in the year before. But I, I absolutely loved Carnevale. I mean, he was big for our first Scudetto and he was big here too, you know, and, and um, really, really nice goal. It was early in the match. And like you said, it was not too, too much to, to talk about there. Um, so shall we well, roll on? Rambo, I was briefly mentioning Rambo, um, to Napoli getting sent off him and uh, Alain Roche. Who's oh, the, right. That's right. They yeah, did get they sent off. Just, yeah. they, they kick each other, kick the hell out of each other. Both get sent off. Nice one, Rambo. Um, and then we have another, we're going to talk about this game next week, but we have a, a game after this home to, to Milan, but we'll not worry about yeah, that. Yeah, this is my favorite Napoli match in the Maradona era is the Milan match, and I can't wait to talk about that because just the memories for me. <laughs> Amazing. Watch this space. And, but the next game, home to Bordeaux, slightly less to talk about, right, Rafa? Very, very little to talk about. December 7th, Bordeaux, it was a nil-nil. It was enough to get us through uh, because of the one-nil victory. Um, Sao Paulo is packed again and full of color. Um, and, you know, it's just a, a, a more dull match, but it was, uh, you know, good enough for us to, to roll on, isn't it? Yeah, and poor old Chiro Ferrara was denied a great goal. He's charging forward. And um, one of the French players, I think, Thuvenet, Thuvenet, um elbows Creeper off the ball and the referee decides to stop play and send off Creeper rather than let... Right at the beginning Ferrara. of the match too. I think it was the third minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, quite a there too. Really? Cool. I mean, you can really see there's all the flags and the banners and everything. It's, you know... This is definitely... There's so many games where I want to get into my... My... Uh, uh, Time machine. I forgot what's the name of the car in Back to the Future. What uh, it's gone? The DeLorean. I want to get in my DeLorean and just be a be be at the Sao Paulo. So um, anyway, so we have a bit of a break, don't we? Until we get to the um to to the next sort of the final stages ish of the UEFA Cup, right? Yes, we go to the. I believe it's the quarterfinals, isn't it? Of the UEFA Cup is up next, and it yeah. is a break. It's a it's about a four month break. We roll into March of uh, 1989, and our opponents are the dastardly Juventus, our co-patriots. Box office. I mean, it's, you know, there are some big teams that we've ha- we've had to beat um, so far, but then it gets bigger. And we're playing in one of my favorite kits, which is our, our red kit. Um, and we're away and we're in Turin, and it's not... Um, it's not a classic Juve team. It's managed by Dino Zoff, so there's a bit of intrigue there. Um, he obviously played for us and them. Um, but it's not a wonderful performance. Uh, I think we're missing a few players. Um, there's no Di Napoli in midfield. 
I, I don't know why, but Romano can't seem to get into the team this season. Um, they score a really good goal. Yeah, they do. They do. They score a pretty good goal. Um, you know, it, I think it was ruled in a, a Corradini old own goal, but um, they 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 get a good goal. Romano, yeah, Romano was instrumental in our you know earlier seasons, wasn't he? He can't really get into this one. Yeah, it's a shame. He was a nice nice player, I think, but who knows what was going on. And um, the second goal is good as well, outside the box. Um, atmosphere is huge again. Obviously, this competition means a massive amount to both to both teams, both fans, both sets of Tifosi. Um, yeah, the defending isn't great from us. Francini gets beaten a few times. Corradini at right back. Another underrated player, Corradini at right back. Excellent. One of our best right backs. Um, we have a few chances, but we're a bit flat, aren't we? And it's a shame to, to end up losing 2-0, right? We do lose 2-0. The goal that you were referring to was a Bruno goal. Though. The second goal would be the Corradini goal. Uh, and yeah, so 2-0 to Juventus in Turin. So this was an away match for us. Um, a month later, April 2nd, Napoli Juventus at the Stadio San... No, I'm sorry. We're talking... Uh... <laughs> I'm looking at the City A picture. The third, yes. The, 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 the March 15th, I'm sorry. That's where we are. So it's only a couple of weeks later. Um, because Napoli did play Juventus again a few weeks after this match. But, yeah, 3-0 victory at the San Paolo. Uh, you know, a what a what a match. Like, if you have to pick one match from this entire season in any competition, this is definitely the one to watch. I mean, you know, such a such a, an atmosphere, 80,000 at the San Paolo. Uh, the, the, the pitch is all smoky, um, flares and fireworks going off before the match. Uh, and <laughs> you've had players really caught, uh, you know, the, the, the wrath of the, of the fans whenever they touch the ball, didn't they, Frank? Yeah. And I think I actually, the DeLorean is going back here for me. I think maybe out of all the games of this entire podcast series, I, it would be great to be there when we won the first Cadetto, but I think, this is the best atmosphere I've ever seen or heard at the San Paolo, ever. It's absolutely incredible. You have to just, even if you just watch the highlights just to hear the crowd and see the crowd. And the, the TV directors do a really good job of cutting to the crowd and you see the sheer scale of the San Paolo and the people and the sea. Of, you, and again, it's very rare that you see an opposition team be completely kowtowed by the home fans. And you see it, don't you, Rafa? They're like a rabbit in the headlights, you know. I mean, yeah, they, they really are. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, when you when you really think about it, Juve going into to a, a European fixture with a two 0 lead, you know, should really <laughs> should really seal any kind of deal there, you know. And and I think that the San Paolo coming alive was such a factor in, you know. It, I mean, it's a fortress. It's bone chilling when the fans are, you know, at their highest interest and at their, you know, at their best. It, you know, it's very, uh, you know, scary for players to go there and play against Napoli when as the, referees, maybe the referees as well. The first goal is soft as hell, man. I mean, Kareka goes down and he's just a like very lightly tugged shirt, um, and it's a penalty, and and Maradona sends the keeper the other way. Um, and that's about 10 minutes in, isn't it? So suddenly, the whole team, the whole crowd, everyone is 
willing us forward. Um, yeah, and then a little bit further on, I'm just trying to think how, the exact minute this happens, but the second goal we score is the is the loudest roar I think I've ever heard at the San Paolo. Yeah, it um, was very late in the in, in regulation. What it was in the it was in the um or was it no, I'm sorry, it was late in the first half. It was yeah. in the forty minute, yes. Yes. Yeah. So Nevale's goal from outside the box, just a, a massive moment because now you're going into the second half tied two two on aggregate. You know, honors are even here, and it's game on, isn't it? Yeah, and you have to give Alamao's props. Really, really good play. I know you can. I know you're listening, man. One of your favorite players. But then the second half is super edgy, isn't it? And it ends up going to extra time, and nothing really happens in extra time. And then we get into the last minute of extra time, don't we, Rafa? And there's a corner. What happens next? <laughs> There is a corner. This this definitely has for for younger Italian fans. This has a very uh, Italy Germany semifinal two thousand six feel to to it. Where to where you know there's no time left. You know we're looking at penalty kicks and uh, corner kick ensues. And from that corner kick comes one of the most special goals I think I'll ever see in a Napoli jersey. And from Renica, Ken's man. Our new boy. Uh, cross comes in and Renica goes low to head it right past the keeper. And with no time left, Napoli are leading 3-2 on aggregate. 3-0 on the night. Quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. This is going to send us to the semifinals, our very first semifinal. Ah, uh, am I right there? <laughs> is that our very first semifinal in Europe? Um, I'm willing to say, uh, yes, I think so. But, I think you know, if, if there's someone listening disagrees, you're welcome to tell us politely on Twitter. Um, yeah, so, I mean, again, we could spend, like, five podcasts talking about this game, but I just, please look up the highlights. We beat Juve 3-0 at home to overturn a 2-0 deficit from the first leg. And there's a great camera shot that just pans across the whole curva just after that goal from Renica. It's really, it's a football cliche, but Renica just throws himself at that cross. It's like all of his body, mind and soul goes into connecting with that ball and into the back of the net. It's just, yeah, wonderful. Um, so we're into the semis, right? We're at home in the first leg. We're into the semis. We're home for the first leg. And it is Bayern Munich of all teams. Bayern Munich in the semifinals. We uh, begin uh, this match uh, at home to Bayern and um this is the, the match where Careca and Maradona are doing keepy ups before the kickoff. Um, yeah. and Which is an underrated thing because people think a lot about the Maradona warm up in the next game, but this is a nice little little snippet into that way of thinking, isn't it, Rafa? Right, right. This isn't exactly the live live is life that comes later, but this is a really cool moment um, in the match and. Bayern Munich comes to the San Paolo, and it's pretty tense at the beginning. Giuliani making a pretty good save. Uh, yeah. But then what happens next? Mr. Creator, Diego Maradona. Beautiful pass through to Kareka. Hits it first time. Kareka into the middle of the goal. with Again, Cavani-esque sort of sweetness with the power from the shot. Boom. Again, the crowd go absolutely bananas at this point. And um, what a ball it was in from Maradona, too. A yeah. nice little touch, uh, you know, n- a nice little, like, low lob. 
and uh, Kareka just finds it, runs it in, like you said, Cavani-esque is true. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that is 1-0. Yeah, and then... In the another, 40th. Yeah, there's another great Maradona-created chance for... Uh, well, actually, it's the, the, the front three. You've got a great chance of Maradona putting it through to Kareka. He puts a ball through to a diving header from Carnavale. Would have been a perfect goal, but it, it hits the post. That's a shame. But then we get our second, right? We do. We do. Second goal of the game comes in the 54th minute, from, and it is a goal on a head from Carnavale. Uh, the ball gets crossed in, and Carnavale just finds it. It's just like these guys. I mean, I wish we'd have these <laughs> crossing ability today don't you because they are yeah. just finding everyone they are and finding it's, everybody it's another maradona assist so we're two and a half against one of the best teams in the world at home although the, we needed to throw it all away there's a giuliani comes rushing out and gets nowhere near the ball but luckily corradini clears it and we've got a healthy lead going into the second leg right away from home yes and in the second leg april 19th away bayern munich uh, you know, that is where the lie of his life is. You know, it's such an iconic moment in Maradona history. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, it just, it feels to me that Napoli already know that, you know what, we're going to hold on to this. We're going to be, we're going to be, we're, you know, I just have the feeling when watching it that Napoli knew that this was going to be their day. They're going to make it to a final. Um, something does interest, interesting does happen afterwards. The game stops after a minute to mark the respect for the Hillsborough disaster, which I thought was pretty classy. Very I nice. I thought it was touch. an excellent move. Yeah, and I'm, I'm broadcasting this in Sheffield, so I'm just right next to where, where that happened. So I think it's a really important moment, and I'm really glad that that, that happened. I think um, it's, it's, it's quite nervy, this game, and I think that we need to give Bianchi the credit where it's due. He does some tactical fiddling around. He, he gets Alamayo to really join the centre-backs. He brings brings Maradona very, very deep. Uh, Di Napoli is a real worker here. He protects that right-hand side. But both goals um, are from Kareka, and they both come from Maradona assists. And Maradona, in his autobiography, is very proud of that fact. As it's, it's a very significant thing for him. I think he loved that partnership just as much as we love watching it. Absolutely, yes. The first goal comes from Kareka, like you said. Maradona, <laughs> pretty nice. Uh, you know, border line foul in the box to get the ball from from the Bayern defender uh, but does steal the ball away from the defender in the box and finds Kareka storming up to the goal slots it right to Kareka on the ground 1-0 for Napoli but two minutes later Bayern would make it 1-1 so this is where things you know Napoli with a 3-0 aggregate lead but here come Bayern Munich they're not giving up just yet uh, um, Wolfhart Gets a goal in the 63rd, so it knots things up. But then Kareka would come through once again to make it 4-1 on aggregate in the 76th minute. And uh, things seem like they are going our way, don't they? Um, yeah, and Bayern go on to win the German League that season. So there you go. It really shows the quality of the competition. And we're into our first European final two-legged affair. <laughs> The final is here, and it is Napoli and Stuttgart. The first leg is at the San Paolo. We are in to the final May 3rd, and the the 
atmosphere here is bar none. I mean, you know, you yeah. can't get better than this. You've got Stuttgart, who's got a an Italian-born player, Gaudino, who gets on the on the board for them uh, in the Italian. 17th. Very early. Yes, yeah, Southern Italian. Yes, yes. Very early. But um, a penalty kick in the 68th minute ties it up. Maradona takes it home. And then and with four minutes left, Napoli take the lead on Careca in the 86th. And we are leading after the first leg. Because back then, there were two legs in the final. And 2-1 uh, is the score line. Frank, what do you think of this? I just want to sing uh, Renica's praises. It's really tight. And until that 87th minute goal, it could go either way. And I'm not going to lie. Everyone drops their heads apart from Renica. And he picks us up by, by the scruff of the neck. And, um, you know, we go behind in the 18th minute. And then we don't equalize till the, what, 66th minute? That's a long period of time where things can go badly wrong. But Renica makes sure it doesn't happen. His whole body language lifts the whole team. And then the final goal, he's in the 87th minute, begins with a long ball into the box from Renica. So I think there's lots of heroes this season. But he, without him, we would not have got the result overall. Um, and again, Bianchi's tactics are really smart. We, technically, it's a 4-3-3. But we flip between that and a 5-2-3. Or maybe a 5-3-2 with Alamal going deep, Maradona going into midfield. Um, it's, you know, due to Bianchi's tactics and Ranica's grinta, that's the thing that gets us through this game. Absolutely, still, absolutely. Yeah, and it's still all to play for in the second leg, isn't it? It is. 81,000 at the Sao Paulo for that one. But in the second leg, yeah, it, all to play for. Napoli have the lead going into the final but, um, you know, there's still work to do. We get into the final, Stuttgart. We're talking May 17th. This is an iconic day in Napoli history. Uh, Giuliani, Ferrara, Francini, Corradini, Alemao, Renica, Fusi, Di Napoli, Careca, Maradona, Carnevale. That's the lineup. And in the 19th minute, we get our, we get our goal started with Alemao. Beautiful little one-two with Caracca. A little bit of um, Brazilian uh, interplay there. And the Alamal's shot squirms under the keeper to make it 1-0. What a great time to score. There seems to be loads of Napoli fans in Germany and they go absolutely nuts. But then the Germans come right back at us, don't they, Rafa? It's a real back and forth. They do. And it's that man, Jürgen Klinsmann, uh, very, very iconic German player. He gets the goal in the 26th minute to yeah. get it back to a 3-2 uh, to two aggregate scoreline. So it gives them a little bit of hope. But then... The goal, <laughs> one of my favorite Napoli goals. Same here, Ciro Ferrara, Ciro Ferrara. Rivediamo il tutto, 
c'è il tiro d'angolo di Maradona la respinta di Scefera ancora il colpo di testa di Maradona Ferrara con rabbia gol from a Maradona throw in that goes back to Maradona off of a of a fail a failed clearance attempt and Maradona would head the ball into the box as a cross it's as if he crossed it with his feet you have to look this up you have to watch bullet this game. like isn't it it's a bullet like bullet like header i mean unbelievable and then here comes ferrara out of <laughs> seemingly out of nowhere with his right foot and just slots it past the keeper uh and i i tell you right now if there's ne- if there's never a more emotional moment in Napoli history to have a young Neapolitan score a goal as a center back in the final in that fashion to put them ahead two to one in the match uh, is just spectacular and Napoli seem to be ready to lift the cup but it wouldn't be uh, over yet second half no go ahead sorry Frank just the, that celebration as well it's a great fight so do look it up it's, he's got his arms aloft Ferrari can't quite believe it and he's obviously very fondly thought of by his teammates and he's completely mobbed so um yeah but yeah i mean we're four two up on aggregate but it's not over is it because um you know the germans are really really coming at us it's not over and here's a goal um in, in the, the 61st minute another really good goal it seems like this was a similar goal to the to the match not the first leg but the 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 round previous so where Maradona and Careca pretty much had a <laughs> had a had a two-man counter-attack going um, yeah. a clearance a clearance found uh, um, uh, Maradona just him one-on-one with one of the defenders and you know instead of being selfish as he hasn't been at all any at any point in the season he finds Careca coming di Klingsman ma è pronto al rilancio Ferrara e c'è Maradona che può andare verso la porta Maradona Maradona viene raggiunto da Hartmann Maradona poi serve Careca Careca gol gol del Napoli grandissimo il Napoli in contropiede Careca servito da Maradona è un trionfo 17 minuti della ripresa gol del Napoli con Careca And how nobody can mark this guy coming is beyond me. But Maradona finds Careca, and Careca puts it home for the third goal of the night and basically puts away Surely. the fixture. Surely. You can see in their celebration, they just know at yeah. this point, that's it. Even with 30 minutes left of the match. And then there's, there's a bit of com- comedic things that happen afterwards. We've got, um, we've got some terrible uh, defending... For uh, for the German uh, the, the Stuttgart team get get one back, um, it sort of bounces off Di Napoli just in front of Giuliani. Why on earth Di Napoli stood there? I don't know. Maybe he's planning his celebrations. When <laughs> it goes in, <laughs> and then the goal afterwards is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Poor old Di Napoli again. I mean, he really was. It's Di Napoli with that back pass, right? Yes, um, it's Di Napoli with the back pass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the right at the end and it, it's then uh, headed home and it, it is one of the, the worst pieces of defending I've, I think I've ever seen in my life but who cares man because we are champions isn't that great Ottavio Bianchi 
Vedete, complimentato da tutti mentre i giocatori del Napoli si abbracciano e sugli spalti c'è un tripudio di vestigli azzurri. Il Napoli conquista la Coppa UEFA, scrive il suo nome in Europa, quello dei napoletani, ma il Napoli vince la Coppa UEFA. È una grande soddisfazione, vedete Moggi, vedete Diego Armando Maradona braccato dal... It's our first taste of European glory. And as I said when we opened this, this is something that Maradona wanted to do. You know, he wanted to win a national trophy with a club. He, you know, he feel I th- I really feel like he needed to he needed this trophy to cement his legacy with Napoli. It was one of the reasons I believe he stayed after all the controversy in the summertime with Bianchi choosing, you know, with the fans kind of siding Bianchi over the players and uh, you know, him kind of getting him and Bianchi never really got on very, very well. But to be honest with you, I don't think any of it really mattered because they won a lot. They won their trophies. And uh, at the final whistle here, you could just tell that the the, the players are so relieved and, and overwhelmed with joy. Dropping to their um, knees, Ferrara yes. just looks like a kid. He's got the candy. And the, the press mobbing around Maradona. But Maradona make, does his best to get out of the way of the press and celebrate with his teammates. And that's... Where he's also a great captain, and something we talked about before, but he was a was a fantastic captain of of this team. Um, you know, the way I he think... embraces Ferrara in the in the in the uh, yeah. you know in the mob of the press is just just emo- so emotional. Ferrara's to his knees, yeah. can't contain himself, crying, and and <laughs> all Maradona wants to do is is hug him while the press asks him questions on how he it's feels. And... Very... <laughs> L'abbiamo, l'abbiamo sognato questo, siamo, siamo qui in realtà. Vedo che anche Ferrara, anche Ciro piano. Ciro è napoletano, lui se lo merita più di tutti. Noi, noi abbiamo fatto qualcosa, ma lui ha fatto gol, ha fatto, ha fatto una grandissima partita. È un amazing moment, amazing. And, you know, so many goals from Carreca. He's a real hero of the campaign. You know, Ferrara, uh, Renica, Francini with key goals, but also Giuliani, the goalkeeper, really kept us in it loads of times over over the course of the campaign. You know, and I was saying to you before, Rafa, that if you want, if anyone wants to get their head around the Maradona era, uh, just watching the highlights of our European campaign here is a great way to get into it. And there's a really lovely sort of narrative that builds and the, the atmosphere there and, I felt really emotional, actually, at the end of this, even though I knew what was going to happen. Just seeing how much it meant to the players, I think, really rubbed off on me. So, yeah, it's been great. I think maybe we'll go into a bit more detail on the stats and stuff uh, in the next part when we look at the League and Cup season. Yes, as well. we we can get a little bit more in-depth in the off-season and in the, the League and Cup and all the statistics next next time we record which should be a week from today but we hope you enjoyed part one of the 1988-89 season a season where we lift another trophy and this one legitimizes us in europe frank sidekick i'm rafa respo we'll see you all next week forza napoli sempre in questo abbraccio con Maradona che naturalmente ha significati che vanno al di là di quello che è il momento puntuale praticamente significano praticamente significano anche la permanenza di Diego Armando Maradona a Napoli ed ecco la Coppa UEFA alzata al cielo da Maradona e dai suoi compagni
mentre con un fisico di invidia i giocatori del Stoccarda guardano questo momento di straordinaria festa da parte dei napoletani il Napoli conquista la Coppa UEFA So there you have it, folks. Diego Maradona has led Napoli to the UEFA Cup, um, Napoli's first ever UEFA Cup, Napoli's first major European title, and only um, major European title from 1989. And uh, what a year, what a year that was. Again, we will... Um, record uh, part two uh, where we will run across the Serie A and the Coppa Italia um, of that season as we usually do on these Maradona Chronicles Um, I thought I would take this time to say a few words though about what Maradona means to me uh To me, Diego was not just another footballer, um, and he was not only a member of the Napoli family, but he was a member of every Neapolitan family around the globe, and including mine. Uh, Diego Maradona is the reason that I'm a football fan. Um, I'm blessed to have been alive during this time. A lot of uh, people that I've spoken to you know, great people, cultural guys included. Um, I went on their podcast the day he passed, and, um, you know, they are too young to have seen Maradona, or some fans have, you know, become only become fans during the ADL era, and they don't, you know, they've seen the videos, and they might know what it means to, you know, to Napoli fans um, and a lot of people live that emotion and you know are mourning as well um, but if you know I, I, I'll say something that you know people said when Maradona brought home the first Scudetto uh, you know the there was uh, the banners across the you know um, cemeteries and memorials of those who have gone and they said uh, you know it says you don't know what you were missing you know and you know I'm lucky like I said I'm blessed to have been alive during his time and lucky lucky for my first memories of this sport that we love so much football to have been him um you know in the grand scheme of things um, football, it's just a sport. You know, to many of us, though, in certain cases, it's much more than just a sport. Uh, th- this sport, and more importantly, Diego Maradona himself, is the connection that I have with my dad to this day. My dad and I, you know, he's still with us. And when we speak on the phone or see each other, it's always a... So it is a discussion about Napoli and <laughs> more more likely than not Diego comes up in conversation as well. Um
it's very emotional for me because I always I always cry when I watch the videos of the first Scudetto. It's something that I don't remember as a baby, but it's something that I have this video um, and I watch it a lot and I cry all the time and any you know as a three-year-old four at that time actually I remember very very little of that but I remember like flashes of it in my brain the first Scudetto you know um I remember his hair I remember <laughs> the short shorts and I remember how short he was and I remember you know um I just remember th- certain th- flashes of Diego in in my life as a baby you know I do I remember it um but I cry every time I watch that video of the first scudetto because it's something that means a lot to me um it's this is because I know that this is what I was watching with my father as a baby, um, and I got really emotional in the eighty seven, eighty six, eighty seven podcast I did with Frank, and I'm getting emotional now too. Um, I cry as I remember a seven year as a seven year old. Um, celebrating the second Scudetto in the Bronx with my father and my uncle and my cousin and friends, you know, and there were a lot of Neapolitans in New York back then and there were a lot of people who, I'll never forget going, we were at, uh, I think we were at a, a cafe called Cafe Aurora in, um, in, in the Bronx, which is mostly a Portuguese cafe, but we had our Italian friends and, you know, we, we all got together to watch games there. And Napoli Lazio, I'll never forget, we, I had to stand up for it, but I was so excited to see, I believe it was Baroni who scored the f- free kick, and we'll get into that in the next, um, you know, Part 2 is coming up of 88-89, but in 89-90 we'll get into that. But I remember that. Um, And Maradona leading the way. And, you know, I, I also cry when, you know, I think of when I watch Diego's return to Napoli in 2005 for Chiro Ferrara's testimonial at the San Paolo and that was emotional for me because I just missed that. I was in I was in Naples in 05 and you know, had I been there a couple of months earlier or later, excuse me, I would have been there for that. And um but knowing that I, you know, got to walk on the San Paolo with my father Walk in the Spogliatoi, go up the steps that he came up 
you know, it, it, watching that testimonial when I did back in 05, it came, things, things came full circle. He went, he walked up those steps in 1984 to a full Sao Paulo. It wasn't even a match. It was just a, a an unveiling. And in 2005, it wasn't even his moment. It was Chido Ferrada's testimonial. And I'll never forget watching Diego round Sao Paulo and the fans just singing and chanting for Diego and even Ferrara on the microphone chanting for Diego and Ferrara such a great sport because everybody was there for Diego Maradona it was his first return to Naples since he left in 91 and everybody was there to see Diego Maradona for Chiro Ferrara's testimonial but they all knew they all knew what he meant to the fans and they knew what he meant to the city of Naples and he knew they all knew so there was no jealousy that day there was no envy there was nothing like that but on the flip side Diego <laughs> you have to look it up on YouTube Chido Ferrara's testimonial or Diego returns to Naples he would literally shove reporters and journalists and photographers out of the way. He wanted no part of any of that because his own words. I'm here for Cheeto and I'm here for the people. Diego wasn't this guy that people perceived him to be. All his judge, his judges out there. He was judged for so many things and unfairly. He was a he was a peculiar individual. He made decisions in his life that took that 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 I look some look at him in disdain for. He made decisions that I would never make or teach any of my kids to make. But I've made decisions in my life that I regret. Who am I to judge? You all have too. You've all made decisions in your life that you regret. We all have. It's part of life. To his peers and his friends and his family, he was a beautiful man who they loved so much. And he loved in return. He did things for kids that nobody wants to talk about and the needy they'd rather judge him for the demons that he fought against but seeing the tears and the outpouring of love from not only mere fans like myself but from those who he played against lets you know that he was so loved he came to Napoli and showed so much love to the city and has become part of the culture that he brought the city alive. He showed us how to love. And that's how I'll remember Diego Armando Maradona. Adios to the greatest of all time. 
and thank you. Napoli will never forget you. And I certainly won't forget you either. Rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona. Ciao.